And this is Kevin Evans with the Chapter by Chapter Live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying the Gospel of John. And last week we finished up Chapter 8, and today we are going to wade into Chapter 9. Uh, in Chapter 8, just as a quick review, uh, Christ was being challenged by Pharisees who saw him as being a threat and they were uh, looking for ways to accuse him of either treason or heresy. They didn't care which. And uh, Christ uh, uh, kind of battles with them in this verbal back and forth that John records. And it may have actually been a couple of different arguments but John kind of boils it down together into one big uh, report. Now, the general implication is that Christ, at the end of this day, during the Feast of Tabernacles, leaves the temple, and as he is leaving, this next chapter takes place. So it seems to be taking place right then. With John, it's a little hard to nail that down, but in the end, it really doesn't matter, you know, is what, what it boils down to. He was not too concerned about that. Uh, and in this, uh, 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 in this whole chapter all concerns one healing and all of the ramifications of it, and that's when he heals a man blind from birth, which is the only time in Scripture that it's actually put that way, blind from birth, and there, there are reasons for that. You know, he heals several blind people, but it's people that had become blind either due to disease or to uh, accident. Okay, so having said that, I'm going to read the first section, which is verse 1 through 12. Uh, As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Christ answers, uh, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, But this happened that the work of God might be displayed on his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent him. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it in the man's eyes. And my esteemed mother said, yuck, in her mind when (laughs) she read that. Go! He told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like that guy. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Okay. Why do you you think Jesus didn't just touch his eyes and heal his eyes instead of making clay, taking clay and steroids and, and doing it that way? Do you think he was trying to demonstrate that you have to have works with faith? Once again, you're getting ahead of me, and I had a whole <laughs> lesson. That's a really good question. I think it's because this man had been blind since birth. He had given up even the 
putting the mud in his eyes, he was telling him, okay, now you have to do something. You go to the pool and wash your eyes. So sometimes, you know, we have to put in a little work. God says, here's your miracle, but we have to reach out and grab it, you know. Well, faith without works is dead. Too. So, like, I want you to exercise faith in this go and wash it out and you'll receive the healing. The answer that I wanted to give to that question when I was studying this this week was that God needs us to engage him. God's not going to overwhelm our own independence. He wants us to come to him willingly. He does not force people to become Christians. Uh, and so the lesson that I wanted to preach out of this was that uh, Christ went to this man that was not asking to be healed uh, and, 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 and puts this clay on his eyes, but he has to do something in order to receive this healing. He has to be engaged with, the, the, with Christ. He has to, you know, be willing uh, if he'd said, no, I refuse to wash my face in that dirty pool. Why would you ask me to do something like that? I don't think his eyes would have been healed. Uh, however, having said that, as I argue with myself, I can, there, there are several examples where Christ healed people that were not actively engaging him as uh, a, a savior. They, they weren't necessarily looking for it. They were there. They were dead. You know, Lazarus. Was Lazarus asking? You know, uh, and so I don't know how far I can ride that horse, is what I'm saying. I think he was predestined because somehow Jesus knew that he was born blind. Jesus also said that he was, this happened so that he could display God's power. So was the kid born blind as the predestination for Christ? That is a well-established uh, theological view. I wholeheartedly disagree with. So what is your opinion? I think bad things happen. We live in a world where people have their own freedom to do things, and when you do things, there are consequences, and consequences affect other people. And uh, the, the Pharisees had this belief that all disease and all misfortune uh, was a direct result of sin and to the point that, that if, if somebody is having misfortune, they judge that per, person as a sinner and they just remove themselves from the sinners because they wanted to be pious. And they didn't want to sully themselves with the poor and impoverished because they were people that God was not blessing. Um, they arrived at that idea of all misfortune being a response of sin from a legitimate logical process. When you do bad things, bad things happen. You know? Uh, thieves who get thought, caught stealing things get hung. Well, you know, that was a direct consequence of your sin. Uh, and theologically, they're going to back that same logic up 
to and, 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 and go back to the sin of Adam. Uh, we would have lived in a perfect world if there had been no sin, or at least Adam and Eve would have lived in the perfect world if there had been no sin. Uh, but uh, since there is sin in the world, there are ramifications of that sin. And I've also heard the theological argument that all uh, uh, illness and disease, all of that entered because man is a sinful person. You can make that argument and I have a hard time challenging it. But I don't think individual malady is a response to individual sin. Does that make sense? I don't think that I sinned and caused my son's birth to death. I don't think he sinned and caused his birth. Well, it is said here that neither his parents nor him sinned. Well, that's because there was this belief among the Pharisees that sin caused disease, right. and they were confused because he was blind <gasps> since birth, and that was the trick. Because if he's blind since birth, how do you, ex where does the sin come from? Is it the baby? There was actually a theological Jewish, Jewish thought that you could sin in the womb. You could, you could say something against all of the rules of, you know, the Torah in the womb, and therefore that would explain why babies are born with birth defects, which is ludicrous. But they're, they're searching for a way to make this concept of sin and malady to fit every situation, and it doesn't fit every situation. And that's why the disciples, some of which have been to school, are being clever. And I promise this is not an argument that they came up with. They stole this from school, and they never had a good answer anyway. And here's the master, so let's ask him. So they pass this poor guy that's blind, and are they concerned with the fact that he's blind? No. Do they, do they give him some change when he's a beggar? No. They go, hey, master, why is he blind? Is it because he's a sinner or somebody else is a sinner? They're, they're using him as a theological point of argument to impress the teacher. And Christ says, neither. You know, there's a chair over in the corner. You can sit in the corner. That was that was that was Clayton Yet coming in late for those of you online. Yes, okay. Doing ministry, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what you always say. I notice he's got c coffee in his hand. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Be the master. <laughs> I've got a donut if you want one. Okay, help yourself. Yeah. Yes, there, there's you a little Valentine donut that everybody's avoiding. Good, good man. That's where I would have gone. Okay. I'm secure in my masculinity. That's right. <laughs> okay, so Christ says, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And Bill said, does that mean that God condemned him to blindness for his entire life so that he would be available to Christ to be healed in this scripture. He was born to be in this scripture according to your predestination interpretation of scripture, right? Well, and that's your point? That's what Christ said. Christ said he would, this, this happened for this appointed time to show God's glory. So isn't that kind of predestinated? I, I think it's an over-interpretation. I choose to believe that it's an over-interpretation. I'm not sure I can back it up. What do you think, Pastor? I agree with what you're saying. I know. 
So you think he was put there and condemned to blindness so that well, Christ could I heal him? Say condemned to blindness because he never seen, so he doesn't know what he was missing. Oh. So it's not condemned at all. You know, it's just neither this man or his parents. Um, but this happened so that the work of God may be displayed on him. So yeah, it's predestined. Back to that. That is that is that's a it's a fair interpretation. I'm not going to say otherwise. I'm not sure I agree with you, but you know. What's your, what's your meaning of predestination? Well, it says here that Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So he's blind, so that God's work manifestation can be you know, shown through the healing of Christ healing him. So it's kind of like you're saying that he he's here for this appointed time, so he was born blind for this appointed time. I see our hang-up with this predestination versus free will thing is we keep thinking in romantic terms, and we're limited in our knowledge of predestination and free will. God's not bound by one or the other. God's eternal. He's still at the Garden of Eden, and he's here presently. That, that's how he views eternity. And so I think even when the arguments for predestination, they're, thinking, they're still thinking in terms of God is yesterday, today. I mean, like, he does time like us. Predestination is not the. De I don't think the way man defines predestination, the way God defines predestination. That's a good point. For knowledge of kind of like that, for yeah. I mean, just yeah, well, one day it's like that. Yeah, I mean, just so I mean, you know, we're now. Did God say, you know, I'm going to make your life suffer? <coughs> yeah, that so seems cruel. Say, I have a hard I, part with the cruelty. I, I have a problem with that aspect of predestination, but his foreknowledge of the man's blindness. He says, hey, he's going to be blind, and this is how I'm going to use this, and this is how I'm going to, to uh, glorify my son's ministry on the earth and you know, promote the gospel message. It all ties into God's eternal plan. I sound like the Joker there. So build a great plan. <laughs> you do, actually. <laughs> it all a plan. But, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. So, I mean, it's we have to quit thinking of God from man's point of view because that brings God down to our level. And that's blasphemous. I mean, I know that sounds serious, but we always bring God to our way of thinking. And it sounds like a cop-out answer. When I pastored and when I talked to people, I said, I can't explain, just like I can't explain the Trinity fully, I can't. The, the, the fine line between free will and predestination, I can't really explain because I'm not God. I just trust God. Well, that's what I was trying to say. I guess I used the wrong word, but I was trying to say that God used this kid for this reason, for this time. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was blind for, to, for this point in his life to happen, for Christ to be glorified and for God to be glorified through this miracle. That's what I was trying to say. Right. Everything's for his glory that he was able to pave a new way. Those miracles needed to take place so people can see so they know that he is God. You know, and I know it does seem cruel when you think about that the man was born or blind from birth, but he never seen anything. So imagine how beautiful it was when he saw it for the first time. That was Yeah, I have a different opinion, I think, about predestination. 
but you know I lean more towards free will but at the same time I don't have a problem with knowing that God had a plan for someone like he's sovereign and he's gonna do what he needs to do to make his plan happen um God predestined for free will. Free will? Well, he's. <laughs> that's like saying that. Well, I think I think yeah, where I just exploded. Where should expect like treatment, right? No. Except should expect to be have mud put on their eyes or put on their arms or their legs, right? I mean if. Why wouldn't they? I think we we tend to look at it through our own life experience. And so we see... We can't do nothing else. Exactly. We see, and so the thought of being blind to us appears a punishment. But when you're born blind, you don't know anything. You don't know sight. You don't know what, what you're missing. Totality. And so to say that he suffered... I think that I think we're putting our interpretation on his life, and we're and we're speculating. Um, was it a life that we would have chosen? No. But what did God have planned for him eternally? He may have been born blind, and until he was healed, his life wasn't as good as it could be. Let's say on earth. But from that point forward, what what plan did God have for his life? We don't know, right? So he could have ended up with the, with the second half of his life from the healing forward on earth being one that was absolutely incredible. And then who knows what kind of, I guess we'll find out when we get to glory, what, what kind of crown and reward he had. But I, I think we tend to sometimes interpret it through our experience and our knowledge instead of looking through a historical and then also looking at God himself. I agree. I've worked a lot with the deaf community, and they get a little irritated whenever it says that God will heal the deaf, and they're like, but I'm fine. But, you know, like, if you're born with it, that's life. Like, can't imagine anything different. There was a Don't raise your hand. Jump in and butt right into the conversation. It's very important. You're going to get nowhere with the hand thing. All right. Assembly of God Ministers magazine that came out several months ago. 
talked about some ministers that are, a couple of them are paralyzed, a couple of them are blind, a couple of them have said they've had a very difficult time being Pentecostal pastors because the people don't want to come listen to them because, well, you're paralyzed. Why should I come? Because this is a Pentecostal preacher. You haven't been healed. Which is completely unchristian. And I say this because I have a son who's autism. There's a certain logic there. Well, but... I just reeled it right in. I have a mother-in-law who keeps saying, well, we're praying for Andrew to be healed of his autism. And why hasn't he been? And they're concerned because I'm not bent out of shape over that. I love my son. God has used my son. My son loves Jesus Christ with all of his heart. That's what I'm more concerned about. And him having autism... I'm not here to explain why does he have autism, why hasn't God healed him of the autism. Here's the thing. It's more of a miracle of God working through Andrew and his spirituality and he has autism than healing him of autism. He's an example for other people with autism. He's a, he's an example for other things. God is receiving glory for it. You know, Kevin, he loves to talk about apologetics of the Bible and everything. Oh. <laughs> and God receives more, and this is what a lot of Pentecostals have a problem with, and I've had people question me about this. God has received more glory for Andrew's life with Christ with autism than if he had been healed from autism. You see, we also got to remember that it might not be part of God's plan when it comes to people that are blind and people that are autism and people that are paralyzed and why they haven't been healed. Maybe God has a purpose for their lives, and it could be testing, it could be conditioning, and it could be both. You know what I mean? And, and God will take that situation and He will mold us in that situation. So we also got to remember that it might not be part of God. I just trust God. I think it's hard to reconcile for people who have current struggles. Like I have some major health problems, and I think like God. I think what Matt was saying, like He wants that wholeness for us, and I believe that. But at the same time, we're in a fallen world. Like people are born with sickness, and what do we do with that, you know? But I think, too, like, the truth about God, it doesn't go, sometimes it goes beyond understanding, but it never goes against it, and God is good. Like, we know that that's our starting point, so we can read this and know that it's true, but also that God is good, and so we have to interpret it through that lens, that well, he's good. It's just like God, when I was 20 years old, God healed a hole in my heart. He healed my heart. But he didn't heal my asthma. Right. And we had a man in church that had a real problem with that. <laughs> when I would say that, because I'd say, well, yes, God healed my heart, but I still have my asthma. He said, that can't be right. <laughs> I mean, he was just, I mean, he was. <laughs> oh, I love those experts. He I was, love those theologians. <laughs> he, he was an older gentleman, and he said, no, something's not right. You know, and it's, it's just like when I broke my leg all the pieces and, and the leg just would not heal and it kept getting worse. Well, everybody kept wondering what was wrong in my life because the leg wouldn't heal. And, and it really made, brought me to the place where I thought... Sin caught up with you. There's a lot of people who do not have one physical problem and they're not living for Christ. And there's a lot of people who have physical ailments and they're living diseases. Well, I go there, back there's there. a belief out there, whatever specific ailment you have, goes with a specific sin. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that also. Yeah. So, so your walk was with God wasn't proper. That's why your leg wasn't healed. Do you have a list? <laughs> no, is there a list? <laughs> I want a list. <laughs> okay. There is a book? Oh. My massage therapist told me that my sin, because I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, he said that my sin was gluttony and adultery. And I was single at the time. <laughs> so, okay, that's that's something I wanted to kind of talk about. So more gluttony, I guess. It, it, yeah, it, it, yeah okay. Because UH has infiltrated the church. So scripture right, okay, stop, stop. Kim. Thank you. Scripture here, we've got the Pharisees asking the question. Did this man sin? Did his parents sin? How did this happen? His disciples. Okay, the disciples. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. It's kind of I'm an sorry. important point. It so is. I'm it is. Sorry I'm to interrupt. Sorry. It but is. go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. But I want to go back for a moment to the Pharisees because we see the Pharisees over and over again ask similar questions. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we see that today from, and I don't mean to label anyone, but I think we see people today who have a mindset similar to the Pharisees asking this ailment, this situation, was it caused from sin? Versus how can I love you? How can I support you? How can I come alongside you? And I think we need to be aware of that. Um, not because they're bad. I think their, their, their thought process might be skewed. Maybe, maybe mine is. But I've experienced that as a, I was a young, a young woman in my early 20s and had a pretty serious diagnosis. And I had women from the church come around me because they were sure I had sin in my life. And that's why I had this diagnosis. And I think, I think sometimes the Pentecostal, I'm not just saying Pentecostal, but I think as Christians, sometimes we have that thought process of you've had this diagnosis or you have this injury or you've had this bad thing happen to your family or your situation, and we immediately think of sin instead of thinking we live in a fallen world, sin is all around us, we sometimes reap the consequences of other people's choices outside our family. And as we interact, those choices might somehow affect our, our world. Well, even if it is, even if you're sick as a result of your sin, because there's natural consequences, even if that's the case, as the people of God, we should approach sin as someone who is under attack and is deeply loved by God. Well, I think Paul summed it up. That's what I. That's what I went. I went with what Paul said. Paul said that he prayed for that thorn to be removed, and God told him, "said My grace is sufficient for you." And basically, that thorn in his flesh was there for a reason. So that's kind of what I used. I said, "Well, God healed my heart." But I've got asthma, but maybe God wants that there for a reason. You know, it may be that if God completely healed somebody, they'd get a big head. And because I know this this happened because everybody kind of, I think they were about ready to throw me out of the church. Because we had, we had a man in the church, and he had gotten healed from cancer. But then he went after he got healed, he went back on God. And so he got cancer again. And we were praying, you know, for him. He still wasn't in church. Uh, he did get his heart right before he died, but God kind of spoke in my heart and said, We're not, I'm not going to heal him. I mean, I, I, I felt that in my spirit so strong, and I kind of said that, and, whoa. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it was what it turned out that that's 
what happened, God saved him, but he didn't heal him. He saved him a second time, and but this time he took him home with the cancer. We live in either an either or society. We're either Calvinist and predestination, or we're Armenian with total free will, which there's a balance between the two. God is sovereign, which is the theme of Calvinism, but God is good, which is the theme of Armenianism. And we focus on the goodness of God, meaning Armenian, but there's a balance. God's still sovereign, he still does, but it's a balance of that and his goodness. Everything he does, it, it may not seem right now in here, why do I have asthma? Why does my son have autism? But this is a speck on the line of eternity. A speck on the line of eternity. We win in the end because God wins. And 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 someday Andrew is gonna be non-autism. He'll quit asking questions all that. And so uh, it's you won't have asthma. This is just a speck on the line of eternity. There will be a day you will not have asthma. And God gets the glory no matter what. God wins. I trust him. There won't be any in heaven. So can we go on to verse 4 now? I studied this whole chapter. There are 20 points, and we barely got past the first one. I thought we have like 10 more hours of free will predestination. At least, at least. Because yeah, there's no end to that argument, you realize. Yeah. Yeah, it's the sign of a good class. Yeah, I'm aware. Okay, I'm reading verse 4 and 5, whether you like it or not. Um, as long as it is day, Christ, Christ slips into symbolism here. As long as it is day, we must do the work for him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So uh, most interpretations of that are that Christ was saying that um, he's going to eventually leave our world and he needs to get his business done now because he's going to be crucified and then ascend. And then, and, and, and the, same, the, the same story kind of applies to the rest of us. We are, we are finite human beings in a, in a very eternal world, and we have so much time to get our job done. You know, there, there's a deadline. And so we need to get about God's business, you know, as soon as possible. And also there are windows of opportunity open. And we've all seen this happen. We've had a conviction to, to you know, deal with somebody. And we don't, and then that opportunity to address that person disappears. They they move on, or you get shipped off, or they die, or you know something happens, and you miss your opportunity. And everybody's got that little regret in the back of their mind. Uh, and I think that's what he's referring to. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. Jump right in. Well, I was just gonna say, mm, never mind. <laughs> what? what? Wow. No. None of that. No. No. How does? How does? How does predestination explain those situations? Explain what situations? You were moved by God to make a choice and do something. You didn't do it. Something bad happened. I don't believe in predestination. No, I'm asking for those that do. I'm curious. Oh. And I don't want to start an argument. I'm yes, you really do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is don't why lie. You're not a friend. In my defense. In my defense. In my defense, I did say never mind. 
true. You did. You did. Uh, I, I don't know how a predestination person uh, which would. Part, which part? Uh, we have so much time to get our work done before it night, it night comes, which is what Christ is saying in verse 4 and 5. So he's saying he has to get busy because he only has so much time to get this job done. Well, he's just predestination. How is that predestination? Why? Everything he does is predestined. Even, even him telling, we've only got so much time, you've got to get this work done. God knew we would get, get this work done. And God knew that you were going to have to do it. That, I'm just saying there's sight. Just, it's just in the language for me, like it's an urge to do something. Like that God in predestination, God gives you the urge. That's right. what I'm saying. But why? Because everything God does within the framework of predestination is for I used to hang out with To make it look like so it's your choice. Uh, well, because everything God does is for his glory. Yeah. If if God sends you to hell. You're going to be in hell glorifying God because it was he predestined you to go to hell. So you're going to be in hell praising God. That's, that, now that's ultra-Calvinism. Well, yeah, because God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Well, they have a According problem to with scriptures. that person. But, no, I've even known a guy whose kid had cancer. He says, I glorify God because of my child's cancer. I have to. And that's kind of sick. I think, you know, because we call him Heavenly Father. What father wants a cancer on his child? You know, we glorify God because my child has cancer. I glorify God for working with my child and, and things like that. But and getting us through it. Getting yeah. us through it. But no, ultra, now there's levels of Calvinism. Yeah. Ultra Calvinism says the people in hell will be praising God for sending them to hell because that's how uh -huh. God gets glory. Folks, I'm not agreeing with it. Everyone's starting to look at it. Like, I'm, just, I'm just telling you their mindset. That's yeah. devil's advocate corner. There's a devil's advocate corner over here. Uh, but that it's everything that God does is right and deserves glory, even sending a person to hell. Except the most extreme person. Well, okay, that's the monkey wrench. Well, no, according to him, no, according to them, yes, they do send. He does send me to I feel like he's arguing for Calvinism. Is he arguing for Calvinism? Aren't you an AG minister? Pull my papers. I don't have to pay time. I think there are those that want to. But it's 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 that's how they do it. Just everything. It's also why a lot of Calvinists don't like coming to therapy. <laughs> Which okay, right, that's funny. <laughs> depression is high up in Calvinism. They're not, even if you go down to the altar and give your heart to the Lord, they're still not 100% sure they're saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They say, I can still be sent to hell. My going down the altar meant nothing because it's not about that. They don't even believe in the altar because it's just a change in your heart. They. And these guys told me that I hung out with, they said, we're not 100% of our salvation because we might be going through the motions and God's going to send us to hell. And they, eventually they can't handle that. Right, well. Depression, yeah. at least the depression, that's the therapist in the family. But it really does. I had one one time that said he, he was crying in my office. And I mean, he's living a life that looked very Christian. He says, I think I'm going to hell. And I said, that doesn't sound like a gospel. That's not good news. You know, because I gave my heart to the Lord, and I said, okay, I'm going to heaven. 
He says, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, but I still, I'm still worried that God put the mark on me to go to hell. That's a rough life to live. That's a terrifying God to believe in. That's a terrifying Because the guy's brother came and said, you believe in a wimpy God. A wimpy God. I haven't even gotten to the spit, and you're leaving already, and it's almost <laughs> over. I studied spit for 45 minutes. I was good two verses, guys. Oh. Well, no, his brother came and talked and said, "Oh, so you believe in the wimpy love everybody God that just hugs and everything a wimpy God?" I said, "You believe you believe in this harsh, cruel, abusive father type stuff that just doesn't give you an assurance of love or." Salvation and security, and that I'm secure in my place in God. Because that's a, I'd rather serve a father than a husband, and a father that condemns me. Mm-hmm. I would tell him that if he felt that way, he probably needs to start making better choices in his own. Yeah. That God does all his choices for him because he predestined. Oh, your choices aren't even your choices. You well, predestined them. It's weird. Yeah, that is a weird situation. I'm just saying. Well. Paul talked about a little bit of this. He, he said, "Here, I'll read these three. I'll read these three verses in Romans eight twenty-eight through thirty. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He, ca- he also called, and whom He called." Then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. You have to look at that first verse where it says, All things work together for the good of those who are called according to his, his will. That's not exactly the thing. But, uh, I think God makes good things, can make good things out of bad things. I do not necessarily believe, this is just me, that he makes bad things originally or that he necessarily I think that God hates sin and I think that God also hates things that sin causes and and he does not necessarily cause that to happen sin causes it to happen or bad things just happen and then God God comes in and he intervenes and he makes something good so I don't know just personally that he causes man to be blind from birth but he made something beautiful out of his life I just, for all of us, and I say all of us, we all have people in our lives who were born or who have terrible things wrong with them. And it's just, it's not sin. You know, it's like Brother Yak talking about his son. And I can talk about my son. We all, we all, have, we all have examples of things. And I think it's dangerous to blame God for everything. Kind of like I had a niece that uh, was, or a cousin rather, that was born, and I don't know what was wrong with her, but she was never going to have the mind close to like a 10-year-old child. And back then, to tell you how cruel things were back at the time when she was born, they wanted her, they, the doctors wanted her institutionalized. Of course, her mom and dad said no, and of course, they, you know, they took her home and raised her. She was a beautiful young lady, okay? She was smart and everything but uh you know yeah she she had her had the problem that she had but that's how kind of cruel back then they were that that was their thought back then they wanted any child born like that they want them institutionalized 
So I just think that's crazy. Mm -hmm. I think God will use everything, everything to his glory, everything. Yes. And uh, I think that's his choice. That's his will for us, that we allow him to use everything for his glory. Because he says for our good and his glory. I know we're at the edge. Can you guys validate something for you, Kevin? I'm going to validate something for you. And I know you go, oh, we've only gone two verses. But this is important because we, we're hearing people with questions and comments. And you're, you're a teacher, Kevin, so you know if it's someone's asking a question, then it's important. It's not about keeping the schedule and keeping the thing. So I want to about because I, this is an important thing because there's what – there's a new Calvinism that's coming out. It, it's the ultra, you know, uh, young, restless reform. I don't know if anybody knows it. I know this. It, it's even starting to creep into the assemblies of God. Some of the younger ministers coming up are reformed Calvinist leaning. That's some of the true. some of the most prominent ministers in the United States today are Calvinists, and I've heard them. Uh, John Piper, who's one of them, has said, "We're trying to get young ministers to go into their non-Calvinist churches and turn the churches Calvinist." And there is a small segment within the assemblies of God of younger ministers who are going over. They're not calling, hey, this is Calvinism, but they're following these preachers and they're starting to get some of this predestination thing into their mind. And it has slowly crept into some segments of the assemblies of God. That's why topics like this and us staying on it is important because it can be very, some of these preachers, and I'm not saying these aren't Christian people, they're misguided in some theology, but the way they're presenting it now, they're not coming as, hey, this is predestination, you guys are going to become Calvinists. But people are following, and these are very good preachers, very well-speaking guys, and it's confusing a lot of our adherence and our movement. And they're starting, and I, I start, I, I hear young ministers preaching at things, and I'm like, that's John MacArthur they're preaching. You know, and they're like, wait a second, he's a, they're preaching Calvinism. And I think it is important. And it's, it's, it's actually quite encouraging when I hear people asking questions and making comments. So, Kevin, this is... This is important, even though we've only covered a couple verses. I'd rather go two or three verses and really delve into it, particularly when there's questions and, and concern, as opposed to hitting a whole chapter in one set, in one classroom. I just did that. To, I'm validating you, brother. It's a big hug. It's a Thank hug. you. It's a hug. Thank <laughs> you. And with that thought, we were completely out of time, and we're a little late. I think you didn't have time for anything. Not at all. Uh, we will pick it up next week at verse 6, in which I will give a 30-minute lecture on the ancient attitude towards spit that I worked really hard on. Okay.